Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for another day in our lives. Pray for everyone here. Give us ears to listen. Help us to know this morning what it means to believe in you and that we'd leave this place different, more in love with you and more willing to share you with the whole world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Steve Chisholm. I'm the youth pastor here at the church, if this is your first time, or maybe you've just never met me before. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Once a year, they let me out of the cage, and I get to preach here. And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to do that this morning. This morning, I want to talk to you about belief. And I want to begin when I was a little kid. My first dream, the first thing I believed I wanted to be was a garbage man. You see, I was four or five years old, and the garbage men would go down our big hill we lived on. They got to hang off the back of the truck, and for a five-year-old, that was pretty cool. I was like, I want that. That's what I want to do. Well, that didn't last too long because uh, then I discovered football, and uh, I became an avid Washington Redskins fan. I grew up in the D.C. metropolitan area, and I loved watching the Redskins, and I was determined because I could catch really well. I was a Uh, when I play football with my friends, that I was going to be a professional football player, a wide receiver, and specifically I was going to play for the Washington Redskins. So I worked at it. This wasn't just like, yeah, I hope this will happen. Every chance I got, I would get my older brother to throw passes to me, and um, even when he didn't want to, I'd drag him outside. When he wouldn't come, I'd throw passes to myself, which wasn't very easy. Um, I sometimes would throw it on the roof and wasn't sure where it would fall, and then I'd dive. One time I dove into the bushes and cut my head open and had to get stitches, but still did not deter me from my dream to become a professional football player. Entered high school. I played football. Got uh, got a starting job as a wide receiver for the freshman football team at W.T. Woodson High School. After the first game, I hurt my back, and I was out the rest of the season. Um, I was not able to play the next two years. I ended up playing baseball year-round, but I still, in the back of my mind, even that little kid dream, I loved playing football more than baseball. I wanted to be a wide receiver. So my senior year, I tried out for the team again. I won back my starting position at wide receiver. I had a great season, but as the season went by, I realized that the reality of me becoming a professional football player, a wide receiver, was just not going to happen. I was not fast enough. I couldn't jump high enough. And I had a few colleges that actually looked at me, but they were smaller than my high school. And um, I realized that, you know what, it's time to hang up that dream. Um, i got to find something else to uh, believe in. Our culture loves to believe in things. We, uh, more than anywhere else in the world, we believe in God. 75% of us, which is awesome, compared to 50% in the world. Our music clarifies, it indicates the last 40 years, you look at pop music, they love to talk about belief in the titles of popular songs. Let me read you a few of these uh, uh, songs that that have to deal with belief. Some of them have the romantic uh, motif. Here's some of the titles. I believe in a thing called love. Do you believe in life after love? Then I saw her face, and now I'm a believer. And my favorite, that timeless song by Journey, Don't Stop Believing, Hold on to that feeling. Then there are the belief songs that are not based on reality. There's the R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly. There's the uh, song from when I was a child from The Greatest American Hero where the line said, Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. There's the old classic, I Believe in Magic. 
And then uh, finally, uh, there are the songs, the real soul-searching songs. There was a great movie in the uh, late 80s called The Lost Boys, and the, the main song was called I Still Believe. Of course, the, song, the movie was about vampires, but still, it was a, uh, you know, kind of a deep sort of uh, thing. And then my favorite band growing up was Poison, and they had a, a song that said, uh, Give Me Something to Believe In. Well, it's not just our music, our sports, too. If anybody watched World Cup, uh, the USA 2014, the theme song was, I believe that we can win. Now, anybody who knew anything about soccer realized that the chance of that happening was slim and none. They just were not as good as the European and the South American teams. They did win a few games, but as much as we chanted, I believe that we can win, it just didn't happen. Our TV shows are catered to this belief we have in our culture. We have shows about Bigfoot about aliens. Even on the History Channel, it's talking about aliens. And then uh, there's the favorite of mine, the recent one. It's called Mountain Monsters, about monsters that are found, are supposedly found, in West Virginia. I don't know why it's just West Virginia, but... (laughs) But whether it's religion, sports, myths, or our personal dreams and beliefs, oftentimes these beliefs easily crumble. They don't last, and they're quickly replaced with new dreams and new things to believe in. Well, there's good news from our gospel reading and our epistle reading today. The kind of belief that the Apostle John writes about in the Gospel of John and his epistle is a deep belief. It's a belief that's not based on us. It's based on Jesus Christ. You see, this kind of belief that he gives us is secure. It will last. It won't crumble like our childhood dreams or beliefs or the crazy things we see on TV or the romances that come and go, the the belief or the trust in Jesus Christ will sustain you even when life gets tough. This morning, uh, Kathy read the gospel reading from John chapter 11. Now, the Apostle John was somebody who spent time with Jesus. He saw his whole ministry. He writes his book in the beginning. It was a theological book to help explain the meaning behind Jesus' life. He starts off in John chapter 1 and tells us uh, very frankly in John 1:14 that the word became flesh, the word was Jesus, and as one uh, modern version says, and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus Christ walked among us. He lived with people. He rubbed shoulders, and not just with good religious people, with all kinds of people. And then in John chapter 3, as the, as the story moves on, as John writes about Jesus' life, Jesus is meeting with a religious guy who's starting to kind of wonder about the things Jesus is saying. He meets Jesus at night, and as they're talking, he asks uh, Jesus, you know, just who are you? What are you about? And uh, Jesus begins to, you know, tell that you need to be born again. And uh, Nicodemus says, well, how do you do this? And Jesus said, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then he describes his ministry further, and he said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So we start getting a better understanding of his ministry. It's about belief. It's about saving. It's not about condemning. Then he said outlandish kind of things. He said, I am the bread of life. If you or I said that, we'd probably get locked up or laughed at. But he multiplied, uh, he fed 5,000 people by multiplying a few fish and some bread. He said, I am the light of the world. He brought a uh, person who was born blind sight. He brought light to a woman who was about to get stoned to death by not condemning her, by saving her from the, uh, basically the firing squad. I am the light of the world. And now we're in John chapter 11. And this is kind of the pinnacle. He's been doing all these miracles. 
And now one of his best friends, Lazarus, has died. His sisters, Martha, Martha and Mary, are distraught. I almost said Martha like Kathy there. It must be my Boston roots there. I said Martha. Uh, so they were distraught. And Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, I know he said all these other things, but the resurrection, the life, uh, you know, it still it sounds great, but this guy's still been dead, and he's been dead for four days. And uh, it says, so uh, in the reading, as, as uh, Martha is talking to uh, Jesus, um, Jesus asks, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. But I don't think she believed what was going to happen next. You see, uh, her and her sister Mary both said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus has emotion. He's uh, distraught just at this whole scene, just seeing everybody so brokenhearted. It says that he's wept. Jesus wept, the shortest passage in the Bible. If you want to know a Bible verse, you can learn that one. Jesus wept. But it's, it's vital, it's important, because he relates with us. He was right there with people. He wasn't just some uh, kind of ghost that floated around and said good things. He, uh, he was right there with people. And then he does the unbelievable. It says, did I not tell you you believed you would see the glory of God? He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, the time this, by, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been dead for four days. You've got to love the Bible. It just tells it as it is. He's been dead for four days. But Jesus said to them in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with straps of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's three things I want to tell you all about this passage. First of all, believing in Christ. Believing in Christ is the object of our belief, he is trustworthy. He backs up what he says. When he said, I am the resurrection, the life, it wasn't just some pop psychologist saying something. It wasn't a poet saying something. He rose a man who had been dead from four days to life. The impossible had become the possible. Jesus, the object of our belief, is trustworthy. The second thing I want you to know is that belief in Jesus brings us a life sentence, not a death sentence, in the here and now. As Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's wrapped in uh, his grave clothes, and Jesus says, let him go. Remember, he has come, it says in John, to bring us life and life to the full. Take off your grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus did not stay in his uh, grave clothes. He had a life on this side of heaven that Jesus wanted him to live. Belief or trust in him, the the third thing is it lasts forever because it is based on him, not on us. You see, he promised us eternal life. Not just, not did he raise Lazarus from the dead. It's not like Lazarus lived forever. Probably 20 years from now or from after that event, he died again. Maybe he got run over by a camel. Maybe he died of old age. Who knows? But Jesus did this so that the glory of God could be shown in his life. The testimony that people could realize that the resurrection was not just some hopeful, wishful thinking, that it was a reality, that the things that he said were true. Belief in him will last forever because it is not based on us. It is based on trusting him. So now it comes to the time, what about you? Are you a believer? And I'm not talking about a general belief in God. 
A matter of fact, the Apostle James warns us about this. He says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe this and shudder. No, it's much deeper than this. In Romans 6.23, the kind of belief that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, tells about, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But like any good gift, it doesn't stay under the tree. A gift must be opened. So where does that leave us? How do we open a gift? I mean, this is kind of crazy talk right here. Well, the word the Apostle John uses for a believing faith has its roots in the Old Testament. The kind of faith he describes is putting your weight down on the faithfulness of God. It's putting all of you on the faithfulness of him. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's you going on the 100% security of him. He is the rock. Now, what does that look like? Can I describe it a little bit better? Well, I went to Virginia Tech. I don't know if we have any Hokies out here, but um, I went there, and I never really understood our name because nobody really knew what it was. We had a turkey that's running around, but a Hokie is not a turkey. We had a cheer we called Hokie Hokie, but supposedly a handkerchief or something, but that didn't really work either. Best thing we could come up with was the hokey pokey. So during games, they'd do the hokey pokey, and everybody put their right arm in, the right arm out, you know, the whole deal, shake it all about. Well, uh, what God is asking us to do, this belief that the Apostle John is, uh, is telling us that Jesus says when to believe in him, is to put our whole self in, but not take our whole self back out. It's putting all of us in and trusting the God who made us, who designed us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, as Jesus said, who knows the number of hairs on your head. It's that kind of trust. And when you do this, surrendering, giving your whole self, it doesn't take away who you are. As a matter of fact, it does the exact opposite. C.S. Lewis has a great book called The Screwtape Letters. And it's written uh, where this demon, Screwtape, is talking to his apprentice, Wormwood, on how he can get Christians to stop believing and how he can, like, steal them away from God. And he, he, he warns his uh, apprentice, Wormwood, about this, about God. He says, when he talks of their losing their selves, he only means abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boast, I'm afraid, sincerely, that when we are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. So when we wholly give ourselves to God, we don't become less. We don't become a, a person who's just a sheep that's just kind of walking around with no personality. He brings out the best version of who we are. When we try to live life without him, as Romans 6.23, it results in death, relational death, spiritual death, and a life that's really a second or third-rate version of you. When we give ourselves to God, when we believe in him, the kind of belief John is talking about, it brings the best version of you and I on this side of heaven so we can bring others people to this kind of belief. Now, as I look around, I realize that we have many people that would say, you know what, Steve, I put my whole self in and I really am a believer, but I struggle because life is difficult. Life is tough. You don't know the things that I've been through. Or maybe you realize that you know, I struggle with things. You know, I feel like my life has a lot of bondage to it. I keep doing things that, you know, almost makes me as a slave. I have addictions. I have things that I'm not proud of that I do. I believe, I believe, but I don't know how to change. Well, the good news is that God doesn't leave us there either. It's not about us trying to work out our belief. 
He brings us each other to help us along the way, to help us with our belief. He brings the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life. A great example of something that happened to me recently that reminded me of the importance of others and not trying to do the Christian life on our own is I ran a half marathon. And if you've heard me preach before, one of my life goals, my bucket list, was to never run a half marathon again. Because uh, the one time I ran one, I had a pretty good time, apparently, but I was in so much pain and I was hating it through the whole way. All I wanted to do was finish, and by the end of the race, like, old ladies were passing me and little kids, and uh, it just was not a good experience. And I went on the mission trip last summer to Honduras, uh, and one of the leaders was Kevin Patrick, and I told him about my experience with running, and you know, we started talking. I was like, you know what, I think I'd like to try it again. He said, well, I'll do it with you. We'll do it together. Said, Sounds good. Well, we ran it in uh, Kiowa in December, and we did not set any uh, speed records. We took our time. We stopped at about every, like, station, got Gatorade, you know, free stuff, you know, <laughs> took a break, checked our pulse. Uh, but we kept running along the way. We were telling stories, literally talking the whole time. And uh, even though we had some pain and blisters, especially me, we finished the race and uh, – it was fantastic. You know, I want to do it again. But, but here's the deal. Life was meant to live with other people. The Christian life, working out your belief, is much bigger than you. Our belief on our own will not hold up. But our belief when we're incorporated into the body and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, will last. It will stick. So I want us to think one more step. Not just us who are believers, but our whole church. What can we do as a church so that people know that we are believers? I think the one thing that we can do is that we can be see-through servants that point others to who Jesus is, to what believing in Jesus is all about, that we're honest. We don't try to pretend something we're not, but we tell people that our belief's foundation is not on ourselves, because even on a good day, we're not that great. But it's on the rock, the foundation of who Jesus is. That belief in him is not a fairy tale. That belief in him is real. The Apostle John saw Jesus rise from the dead. This is the seventh Sunday after Easter for those who are uh, hardcore Anglicans. But for all of us, every day is an Easter day. That we know that the resurrection has reality on this side of heaven and the next when we go to meet him. In a little bit, uh, for those of you who are familiar uh, with our tradition, we're going to have communion for those of you who are not, when you come to the Lord's table, one of the things Jesus reminds us about the Lord's table is he reminds us of the resurrection, when we'll all meet Christ at the great banquet. A matter of fact, in our prayer book, we, we remind each other, and let me read you uh, this excerpt from the prayer book because it's really, uh, really cool. It says this, that we are living members of your body and son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. We're going to say these words as we come up to receive uh, communion. We're heirs. We're part of his kingdom. On his end, we're 100% in. Not on our strength, on his strength. So the bottom line for all of us is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to live life on your terms? Is your belief going to be shallow where it just kind of, when life uh, gets tough, it crumbles? Are you going to go against the grain of what Christ has done. If you ever rubbed a real coarse piece of wood and you go against the grain, it hurts, it splinters. Well, that's what our lives are like when we try to do things on our own. Or are we going to trust the God who made us and designed us and has a plan for our life? 
I want to leave you with the last uh, quick story. My uh, sister um, had, was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple years ago. She's recovered in remission. My brother-in-law, almost five years ago to this date, was diagnosed with leukemia, and he wasn't supposed to live. It's a miracle he's uh, still alive. They had a bunch of articles about him. He's a state trooper in Massachusetts, and uh, they, they've, uh, they just have been amazed that he lived through all the chemo and everything he had to do, the bone marrow transplant. And the other night, I was talking to my sister, and the 10-year-old, my 10-year-old nephew, Jack, came upstairs, and he had tears welling up in his eyes. And he said, Mommy, what's going to happen to me if something happens to you and Daddy, if you guys, uh, you know, pass away? And so my sister, of course, was very moved by this. And so she talked to her about these very things, that we have a God who can relate to us, that he has vicariously lived our life. He has walked in our path. He has wept. He shed tears, but he, doesn't, he will not leave us or forsake us. That no matter what happens to us, we are with, his, with him for eternity. You are going to be in good hands no matter what happens to uh, mommy and daddy. You see, she can say that honestly because she knows that there is a body of believers that will surround her son and her daughter and be with them on this side of heaven. She knows that we have a God we can trust in. She knows that this is not just it. We have eternal life for those who believe. So where are you this morning? Are you a believer? If not, I encourage you to come up for prayer, to ask Jesus in your heart. We have prayer stations back there. Any of us would love to pray with you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that the peace that passes all understanding will fill everybody's heart right now. We know everybody here has dealt with different pains, uh, struggles, ups and downs in life. We pray that we would trust you. Help us to believe. Help us to put all of ourselves, our whole self, in on your faithfulness. Help us to know that we have help from each other. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.